Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, Mark here, and welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Today, we have a really special guest on. His name is Miles Beckler, and he runs a pretty successful YouTube channel, which he actually just started last year, but it's grown pretty rapidly. So we're going to be talking a lot about YouTube, how to get started, how to grow your channel, all that sort of fun stuff. Uh, it's a really exciting interview. If you want to grab the show notes, any of the links we're mentioning, or any other information, then please go to authorityhacker.com forward slash YouTube podcast. That's YouTube podcast as all one word. And you can get all the info there. So without further ado, here is the interview. Hey, Miles, welcome to the show. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm brilliant, mate. How you doing? <laughs> pretty good, pretty good. Where are you? Did you say you're camping somewhere at the moment? That's this afternoon. I'm actually in the greater Seattle area. I'm um, at some family's house in Tacoma overlooking the water, so I got a nice view of the Puget Sound and the islands here up in the Seattle area. It's really beautiful. Awesome. And you seem to be, I guess, well, a true digital nomad. You seem to live in a different continent every every other month. Maybe a little slower than that, but yeah, we've been fully um, location independent or digital nomad for four years. I usually hang around the Pacific Ocean, whether it's New Zealand or Southeast Asia or North America or Central America. But yeah, that's been our, our kind of way of experiencing this life for the last four years or so. Tough life, but someone's got to do it, I guess. Uh, there it is, man. So we actually met at uh, the DCBKK conference last year at uh, one of the pre-event meetups. I think it was the the membership site one. Was that was that right? Yep, exactly. And, uh, I, something stood out about you in that that meeting. Like I really liked your your kind of no BS approach. It's something I can kind of resonate with quite well. And there were two or three other people in that room, and I thought, wow, I, I definitely need to stay in touch with that guy. So I'm glad we stayed in touch, and I'm, I'm really excited for this interview for two reasons, really. The first is we get to talk about YouTube. That's not actually something that I've had too much experience with, uh, at least uh, with Authority Hacker. And the other is I think it's quite rare to find someone who's successfully had an authority site and been working on it for so long. I mean, I know you mentioned your, your wife and, and, and yourself, you've been working on your site for about eight years now. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Cool to have you on because uh, so many people, they just don't want to reveal their site because they're afraid of copycats and stuff. But I think you guys are quite firmly entrenched at, at the top of, of your niche. And plus, it's a niche I've, I've never really, I didn't even know existed until I met you. Can, right. can you maybe just tell us a little bit about that before we get sure. into the YouTube stuff? Because I, I guess yeah. I'll give some context. And it does because this is where we kind of went through the paces and all the trial and error stuff that I've I've now kind of like shrunk down with my newest YouTube endeavor. So we run a site, ask-angels.com. It's based around my wife's kind of personality and brand. She's really the face and voice of that brand. We started it in 2009, and it's it's essentially meditations and spiritual development courses all focused on angels. So it's this really deep sub-niche of spirituality and uh, meditations. It's the angel niche. And really, like the biggest key takeaway, right, is my wife, when we met, we both were meditating every day. We still meditate every single day. This is absolutely a passion of ours. It's a passion project of ours that really just continued to grow and grow and grow and eventually turned into a full-time income for us. And 
when you're doing something you love for eight years, it doesn't feel like work, right? There's moments that are challenging, but it's a pleasure for us to work in this niche, to create our content, to make videos, to make blog posts. Like we love being of service to this audience. So in one sense, it's a long path to get here, but in another sense, it's been the most fun ride of my life. Awesome. And you mentioned that you work with your wife on that together. Can you just maybe explain a little bit about the different roles you guys have there? She seems she's sort of like the face and maybe you're like the technical side. Is that right? Absolutely. That's how it started. Um, she's kind of, I like to say she's the the face and the voice of the brand. So it's her content. It's her written content. I was always focused on optimizing that content to make sure it gets the maximum amount of reach, whether that's search engine optimization or like Facebook pay-per-click advertising or taking, we start with everything we do on that platform pretty much starts with audio content Mm -hmm. and then repurposing that into videos, into podcasts, into written words, into books on Kindle, CDs on Amazon. Um, That's kind of the other side of what I've done is, you know, like that whole getting the most out of everything that you've got theory. Um, So she was able to stay focused on new piece of great content, new piece of great content, new piece of great content. And I was able to build systems and teams and infrastructure around that to really just make sure that if someone's on iTunes store and they search for us, or if they're on Amazon, or if they're on Google or YouTube, anywhere they search for us, we show up at the top of the game. And so you basically taught yourself SEO or online marketing, is that right? 100%. Yep. No college degree on any of this. My wife, neither. We knew we had to create our own financial future. My father was fired from a company he worked for for 33 years here in the U.S. The old corporate model of of go work for a, a corporation and you'll get a gold watch in 30 years, that, yeah. that model's dead. So in seeing that so close to my family, I knew we had to do something. And that's where we got that kind of like deep burning desire to figure this all out. And a lot of late nights and a lot of trying to read between the lines on forums and and really figure out. I wish, man, I wish I found authority hacker back in the day to be perfectly honest with you, but was able to piece it together with with stuff from all over the place. Uh, and what was the point when you sort of figured out, okay, we've we've got it down now where this is this is a successful site? Or did you even have that kind of aha moment? I would say there was a few different phases of that. The first time we really kind of were like, okay, this is working. I I guess preached, kind of an awkward word. I preached to my wife the idea of content marketing, Mm -hmm. of like, here's one skill, go learn keyword research. And if you go create content every day based on a keyword phrase that people are searching for, it's going to work. And she believed me and she took off to the races. And when we really started to see the organic traffic showing up and seeing the posts that she wanted to post for, you know, angel meditation and she writes it and publishes it. And all of a sudden it's on the first page of Google within a couple of days, seeing that feedback loop was like, okay, this is really going to work. And then we spent literally like two or three years gobbling up as many first page results for different keyword phrases as possible. And then you've evolved it into a membership site now. Is that right? It's pretty big if I remember you saying. Yeah, it is over a thousand members and growing. I'm, I, I just moved to another foundation, to another membership platform. So I haven't been marketing it as much as I, I, I wanted to, but uh, sometimes we got to do these you know, pauses for tech reasons. I, I feel um, your pain completely. Yeah. We're going through that right now as well. So. And it's, it's something else. And when you get done with it, all you really want to do is, is take a holiday and not get back to marketing. <laughs> so we're kind of in that transition period. 
but organically, we're yeah, our membership is growing. We sell products up front, or they can kind of get access to everything that we sell for one monthly price, and they get a, a community, which is really big. Kind of in between these two phases, from the organic side to that, I learned about funnels and pay per click, and that was the second aha moment of when like, whoa, this really can grow at a significant rate. Is when I started kind of engaging like a direct response marketer, mm-hmm. having a landing page that says, hey, do you want our free thing? If they enter their email address, it's like, great, that free thing's coming to you via email. Would you like to buy this thing that's a really, really good deal and a really steep discount right now? And so super simple funnel, right, with an OTO. And then I started running Facebook pay-per-click traffic to that mm-hmm. funnel in addition to our organic traffic. And I would say that that in between membership success and those first kind of motivating kind of feedback loop from Google Organic, that was when it was like, holy cow, we can grow this as a real business that can really take care of us long-term. Because the, the feedback loop from advertisement to lead to customer was very short. And then having the membership as that lifetime customer value tool behind it, that's how it all really kind of turned into like, whoa, we have a real business here. Yeah, I've heard a lot of people say that about like paid advertising because of the short feedback loop. It's it's much easier yep. to sort of get going. Did you have initial success with it? It was like the first no. few campaign or how long did it take you to <laughs> to get there and how much did in, it cost? In <laughs> years or dollars? Yeah, seriously. No, I I knew just as I knew moving into the the kind of Google organic direction would work. I knew that that was the next logical step. I assume that it took me $6,000 or so of, of marketing to really get it, mm-hmm. to really, really get it. But the first few, I, I didn't have an OTO. I wasn't selling something after the opt-in. I was only going for the opt-in. So we were making our money back. It was just 45 days yep. later. Yep. And I didn't want to have my money on the line for 45 days. So I figured out that, oh, I could put an OTO right after the opt-in. 1% of people take me up on that. And that liquidates my ad spend. They get a screaming good deal. We get to kind of put our money back into advertising more quickly. So I I think it took a year or two. This was in like 2013. So the Facebook advertising system was not as robust as it is today. Sure. It was a little more wild, wild west. Their prices fluctuated more. But uh, I'm still effectively doing the same thing today. Still getting 30, 40, 50 cent leads today all day long on Facebook with essentially the same approach. I've just added a one-click upsell after the OTO at this point. Awesome. Let's move on to the, the YouTube part. Like, So since I met you in uh, October last year, you've produced, I, I don't know how many, several hundred it looks like, videos. 225 your, your, or so. Uh, yeah, which is quite a lot. And th- these are not, you know, two, three minute videos. I see some like, you know, 40 minutes, an hour, something like that long. And th- I've, I haven't been through all of them, obviously, but the content in there is like, it's you know, full of gold, really. It's like high value impact stuff. Like, why did you decide to sort of change direction and, and, and do this? Yeah, and brilliant question. And thanks for the kind words, man. So there's a couple of reasons. Number one, I had a limiting belief that I was the behind the scenes guy and my wife was the content creator. And I've had this kind of nudge inside of myself to teach what I know. Because I mean, so at this point, it's what, 2017, 
I've been making money online for 14 years, right? I made my first websites in the late 1990s. And there's so many people teaching internet marketing who are like, I call them fake ass gurus. They just, they read an ebook, they went through Authority Hacker, and all of a sudden they know how to teach this stuff and they're going to be the next, you know, real cool kid in, in the space. And yeah, I always say if you're, if your first website is teaching other people how to do online marketing, you're probably doing it wrong. Huge problem. Huge problem right there. And then, so we've got that side and then there's this new evolution of a lot of high ticket items. And that can be challenging for someone who really, truly wants to enter the space. So there's that side. And then my wife says, I'm creating this content because nobody put this out for me when I was 17 and 18 years old. So I'm giving back in many senses. So it was two things. So I I started with a 90-day challenge, which is 90 videos published in 90 days straight. And the goal was just to flex the muscle and to break down my limiting belief that I'm not a content creator. Because like we've rapped before in Bangkok right that night we were hanging out like i i can explain this stuff I'm, I'm on top of it i've just have been in behind the scenes and it was time for me to break out since then i've i've fallen in love with the process i've fallen in love with the growth which i'm sure we're going to talk about how kind of exciting the growth has been from from continuing uh, right now i do three videos a week at this point but i just i think it's also philosophical i think if you know, there's a Zig Ziglar quote, if you help enough people get what they want, you will ultimately get what you want in this world. And that's kind of my approach. And I'm like, I'm just going to give it. I'm just going to keep putting it out there, keep really sharing what works for us because nobody else seems to be willing to do that. That's awesome. It's really refreshing to see the sort of uh, genuine positive approach there. I think too many people, especially in this space, are are in it with the the primary goal is to find their affiliate link in there and get a commission on someone who would probably already be buying anyway, something like that. So philosophically, it it really is. Everyone seems to be entering the space like, okay, cool. This is a good way for me to get money, how to get from the marketplace. And I, my philosophy is it only works when we focus on giving to an audience and being of service to an audience. And I can't just say that, right? Like I have to go walk it. I have to go talk it. I have to eat. Like if I'm really going to prove that, like we did that once with my wife's business, we started her business with a 90 day blog challenge where she wrote a blog post every day for 90 days. Here we are starting from ground zero last October or actually last August I started zero videos, zero traffic. I've got uh, 700 and something thousand views over 22,000 subscribers in you know what 10 11 months yeah i mean that's that's pretty insane i mean when that 90 day challenge finished like what was your kind of mental place were you exhausted from doing it or were you kind of like i want to do more so i pushed through to 120 days because there's this theory of over delivering like oh you got to over deliver for your customers right like that's kind of a, a catch phrase in our world but we never over deliver for ourselves Mm-hmm. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to over-deliver on this for myself. I'm going to really crank it out. And I hadn't finished a few video series on Facebook advertising that I really wanted to finish. Uh, once I hit that 120-day mark, I pretty much didn't do a video. I did like two videos for that next month. Uh, then were I you afraid that you might kind of like drop it from there? Or was it was it just kind of like uh, you need to take a, ve- a break? I just needed to take a break. We were traveling. We were in Asia. It was hot. It was just – I was just overwhelmed and – But then about a month after that, I was like, I'm ready to get back. I want to do this. It was like I missed it. I craved it. And I had all these ideas circling through my head. And there's, you know, if you get to that point where you get ideas circling through your head, there's the only way to get them out is to write them down or create a video on it or do something with it. And I'm not a writer. I don't blog. I can't. 
Mm-hmm. I, I just it just doesn't work for me. It takes me five days to write a freaking blog post, but I can do a video in one take on my cell phone. So it, I just got in the flow, and I have this theory of we need to find our marathon runner's pace. We should put more energy in at first, hence the ninety day or one hundred and twenty day challenge. But once you get through that, find that pace that you can do for life. And I'm at three videos a week is even with how much I travel, it, it really seems to be a pace that I'm able to keep up and I'm still seeing really good results on YouTube from it. Yeah. It's interesting. You mentioned that you can just do it in one take on your, on your phone or something. Do you actually use your cell phone for it or do you have more sort of yeah. sophisticated equipment or what's, what's the process? No. There? I use the front lens, the selfie lens on my Google Nexus 6P, which isn't even the coolest camera they have. My wife has a an iPhone SE. We, that, that's pretty much the only video recording we use other than my webcam on my laptop when I'm doing a screen share, which is like the worst lens ever. But you know, the cool part about YouTube is it's not about the production quality. People don't want production quality. They kind of want that raw, edgy stuff. They want the real deal. They want what's working. They will watch terrible lighting. They will watch terrible audio if you're delivering some goods that help them solve a big problem that they have or overcome a big challenge that they have in their life. And that's that's really my approach. And I think so many people are like, okay, I'm going to do videos. Now I got to go, you know, I got to go do this and I got to get tripods and I get lights. It's like, mm, not really. Like you can just kind of yeah, hold I, your cell phone out and start. I think with many things, people who, you know, they decide to do something and then they, they want to take action immediately. So what they can do is they can acquire the tools. So, you know, right. if you want to, I'm trying to think of something else there, but if you want to, I don't know, uh, lose weight, you know, you buy the new trainers and you get your gym membership and you get all these, <laughs> these things, but, you know, you could just go outside and, you know, go for a walk or something. Right. I think that's or kind of a exactly. metaphor. Yeah, it's kind of like an equivalent to, you know, just getting started and just doing it, just getting the first one out the door. It doesn't really matter the the kind of quality you sort of like evolve it as you as you as you go, so to speak. Success yeah. comes through iteration and yeah. you can't start iterating something until you put out version 0.0.0.0.1, right? You have to put out a really really bad first draft. My first video is horrible. I encourage anyone who's interested or goes to my channel, be sure you go back to my first video and see how absolutely rubbish it was. And then you'll see some of my newer ones. You'll be like, damn, this dude, like you flex the muscle enough times in a row in a short period of time frame and you get things down quick. Just get through that learning curve as quickly as humanly possible to where it gets, quote unquote, easy. And uh, you you talked about, you know, you just sort of start the video and record. I mean, do you, how do you come up with a topic? Do you do any kind of like YouTube keyword research or is it just, just something you fancy talking about and you hit that record button and you just start, start going from there? I mean, do you make any notes or anything? I rarely make notes. It's more about, so I I believe in the theory of creating a customer avatar, and I'm pretty sure you guys go into this really well and really clearly. And so I have this vision of who I'm helping. I'm helping one friend of mine who's trapped in a cubicle job. He wants to break himself free. He's putting in two hours a night. I'm teaching this guy how to build his business. I've, you know, I've got a picture of him in my head, how old he is, you know, where he works, where he lives. So I'm kind of like wandering around thinking as if he's a coach coaching client, what does he need to know next? What's that next thing he needs to do? I have an idea of what I think would help him most. Then I pretty much always go to my keyword research tool. I use Keyword Finder. 
and I do a quick minute in keyword research to figure out, okay, here's my idea. What is he looking for? What are the words he's using to search for the idea I want to teach on? And then once I find what the best keyword phrase is for that kind of topic, that's when I will start recording the video. I make sure and speak out that keyword phrase within the first minute. Obviously, it gets in the title and do all my SEO stuff with it. But that's really it for me. Sometimes if it's like a really technical kind of a video, I will maybe put a notepad next to me of like, be sure you cover this, 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 and this. Cause sometimes I kind of get going full speed and I'll miss something that's key and I won't realize it till after. And then I'm like, ah, I gotta go record the whole thing again. Cause I don't really do editing cause I'm just lazy. <laughs> that's cool. Uh, did, I mean, you said that just there that you had, you say the keyword in the first minute of the video. Is that like some yeah. kind of trick? I mean, is Google oh, yeah. reading the audio or something? I didn't know that. 100%. 100%. So Google is, yeah, cool. First knowledge bomb, I guess, right there. Um, other than it takes a lot of work. But yeah, so Google and YouTube are putting a closed caption layer on every single video to help uh, audio impaired in individuals get it. But they're also indexing what they transcribe. So if you want to get super geeky with it, when you have a, a really phrase that you really want to kind of identify and go for, go into the closed caption layer once your video is uploaded in YouTube and actually open the closed caption and make sure your keyword phrase is actually transcribed correctly because Google's transcription service sucks. Yeah, I've it, seen that, but especially if someone has a bit of an accent, it can be a bit off. So yeah. Yep. And so it's looking for that keyword. So if you're if you're talking about keyword research and it thinks it's kielbasa retardo right and the words totally wrong that was the worst example ever by the way <laughs> if it's got the phrases written wrong you're missing one of the big indicators and the reason this is such a big indicator is all of the youtube video spam people will put the key they'll keyword stuff the title they'll keyword stuff the description they'll keyword stuff everything but they won't keyword stuff the video so it's like a clickbait situation where the description of the title says that it's about keyword research but really it's about some affiliate product come join my MLM bullshit. Yeah. Ooh, sorry for the S-bomb. But like, you get what I'm saying? Like, So YouTube needed a way to figure out if the video is actually on topic with what it says it is, and this is it. And it's a huge indicator because relevance, right? Like, the, the whole game of organic traffic is relevance and engagement. So you just have to make sure you hit every single point to maximize relevance that, that you can. Right. I've also heard, and this is, uh, you know, I haven't really done too much research on this, but, you know, the actual subscriber metrics like, uh, you know, likes and dislikes and comments actually make quite a difference. It, have you found that to be true? And do you do anything to try and influence that? Like at the end of the video, say, leave a like rating, subscribe, etc.? I do on a lot of videos ask for the thumbs up because my only goal is to get the, that's my call to action, right? Mm -hmm. I'm not, I don't have any courses for sale. I don't do one-on-one -on -one consulting. I really just want to get the reach out. So I, that is kind of my, my bit at the end of many videos. I'm also replying to almost every single comment. I've probably replied to over 10,000 comments in the last 10 months. My reasoning is on that is to, to bump that engagement to the next level. And like most people, when they start driving traffic or they start growing a list and their list gets over a thousand, it's easy to forget that every single view, every single subscriber is a real person yeah. who really wants to go to the next level. And I'm willing to spend an hour a morning with my cup of coffee and go in and be like, thanks for the kind words. Here's the video you're asking about. People ask questions. I try to answer everyone. Now that I'm spending two or three days off the grid camping because I'm on this kind of big road trip, it's getting more difficult. But in YouTube's metrics, my comments and their comments 
act as comments towards my total comment number. Mm -hmm. So I'm literally theoretically doubling the number of comments I have on every single video that I have by simply going and engaging. But it's so much goodwill. Like these individuals, like A, I'm not trying to pitch them something in every single video like most other hacks out there are. And B, I'm giving the goods. And then C, I actually say thank you or you're welcome or here, go look at this thing over here that answers your question. It blows people away. And I'm just strengthening my subscriber base, really, like one at a time. Gary Vee talks about it, right? This is the the kind of like this is the work, right? Like person to person, one on one, and that's why he sells so many books when he launches a book. And and maybe at some point I'll launch a book and throw a big right hook or an ask out there. Yeah, it's so critical, I think, to, especially early on, to get those kind of like brand advocates or you know your your sort of hardcore fans engaged. These are the people who you know you, you treat them right and they they follow you for you know forever, really. So. Uh, can I go one step beyond sure, that real quick? Because sure. that, that's a brilliant point. I love the idea of a brand advocate. I've never actually kind of heard it that succinctly. There's a guy in New Zealand. His name's Franklin. And he runs a group and he teaches how to market online. He found my stuff and he then shared it with his group. And I've had like two or three times in my like metrics and analytics, which I show all my analytics of how my path has gone or are done as videos, but all of a sudden I'll get this huge bump of subscribers and it'll go from like 20 or 30 or a hundred a day to like a thousand in a day. Influencers are finding my content and sharing my content because I'm not pitching every moment because I'm not trying to sell every time. I'm literally giving the goods. So not only am I making good relationships with people who are needing the content, I'm also making relationships with the people who teach this kind of stuff our content, our, our podcast right here, by the way, yeah. right? Like I'm a, I'm a low friction, easy, trustworthy place for them to reference. They get kind of social value for being kind of a connector of like, whoa, have you seen this? This is really cool. And it's like, wow, thanks for sharing that. That's awesome. So there's social capital in the share. And I get obviously some benefits from being what gets shared. And that's been huge. Every time I've seen a big step up, it's from kind of getting a share from someone who's an influencer in our space. Yeah, I'm sure then, you know, all of their fans, there's probably a few more influencers within there. And it just kind of like exponentially sort of snowballs from from that point on. Um, It really does. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned you didn't do any kind of monetization in your video. So there's no ads. You you disabled all that. And and there's no kind of sign up kind of thing. Did you find... I don't know, either through data or through people sort of speaking, like uh, commenting, talking to you, that that has influenced your kind of early adoption subscriber rate? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I get I, I confuse people. People are like, how are you making money? <laughs> and like, I'll let the cat out of the bag. I don't talk about this much, but like, I'm making good money with the channel at this point. I'm making five figures a month from this channel at this point. What it is, is I've got maybe six to eight key videos that have an opt-in call to action or that call to action to a product. Maybe six to eight, maybe 10 out of 230, 250 videos, right? But these are some core videos that really go deep on ones on Facebook advertising. And it's like the number one, number two video for Facebook advertising. At the end, I have a content upgrade that offers them a free case study that shows how I generated 14,000 leads for 800 bucks in 30 days with Facebook ads. It's very compelling. People opt in. Well, then I 
promote the course that I went through, which I have an affiliate relationship with, which is a high ticket course, which I actually make money on the back end if they purchase. So I would just rather control the monetization versus allowing Google and YouTube to effectively put any ad they think is relevant because the ads that get posted on my kind of videos are like Wix.com, which is horrible and it would be leading my people astray or I get these scammer guys who talk about knowledge with pictures of their Lamborghinis and oh everybody wants to see my house in Beverly Hills who are absolute scam artists and I refuse to give them any space on my channel and if that means me not making as much money every month I'm cool with that because I am more committed to my audience and their experience with my content than I care about my income And that's why it's going to work. And that's why it's going to become a six-figure-a-month platform, all affiliate, is because my focus is on them, not me. Yeah, I think this uh, is quite a common issue, especially in the the online marketing space that, uh, you know, people people try and sell the program or promote the product with the highest affiliate commission, not necessarily the one that's best for the the consumer. And I I don't know, for for me, it just seems like such a short-term position to take. Like, eventually, you get found out for, you know, what you are and bad advice and stuff. So... So yeah, one thing I did want to ask though is around the monetization. So you said you had a few key videos which were sort of pushing towards products which you know helped you yep. learn that thing and get there and whatnot and that's working very well. Did you plan on monetizing them in that way initially and no. did you set that up? or So it was the case of basically the video started ranking for these keywords and getting good YouTube traffic organically and then you're like, hey, I might as well monetize this. Yeah, and and one clarification, just because this is so powerful to both of our audiences, is my call to action from a video never goes beyond join my list. And then my list builds the relationship, and then my list recommends the kind of content upgrade product, if you will, because I always want that opportunity to nurture them and to get a closer relationship. That's always my first kind of goal, is to have an opportunity to kind of get in their inbox. But so here's what's funny, right? My my wife's list is sitting at like 120,000 subscribers and like having a great list that that knows, likes and trusts you, that's the key to the game. And it's not just the list number, they have to know, like and trust you. So I'm what, 2-3 months in on my video challenge and my wife is like, "Miles, you have to build a list." And I'm like, "I can barely handle these videos. I I don't have mental space." And she's like, "No, you have like literally she was on my case about it and and bless her heart, like it was the right thing to do." So I just kind of like was flexing the muscles so much to get comfortable being a content creator. I then looked back and it's like, okay, well, what's working? And it was very clear that that this Facebook stuff was working. So I created a follow-up sequence that just gave more value to people interested in the Facebook stuff. And I've since created a second opt-in that kind of goes in a different direction for people interested in in meditation and kind of people who aren't as far along in business. And in that one, I recommend authority, the authority hacker products for sure. And I am personally enrolled in the authority hacker products. And it's that kind of a situation. Like you guys are the real deal. I've looked at a lot of how to grow a business products and most of them are rubbish and they're missing things. And like your stuff, I learn from you guys, right? And I'm like, okay, if it goes up to that level, like my people need a short, quick course because what I'm putting out is very haphazard. It's not all that organized. It would take someone a lot of, it it takes a bit to really go 
find the gaps in what I'm teaching because there are gaps in YouTube's organization is a little crazy. You guys lay it out one to two to three, four to this, then this. And that that's where the value you bring to the marketplace is. And that's it, what I love about this and why I'm even explaining this is there's room for us both at the top, right? Like the marketplace is there's there's room for people who want to learn this for free and have willing to put in time. And then if somebody wants to get straight to the nuts and bolts, I love it. I want the result. What do I do in what order? There's also that out there. And we can work together to help the whole marketplace. Right. And I, I think that you, you kind of hit on a really important point there. If, if anyone is sort of like concerned of, you know, creating their own products and, and, and whatnot, a lot of people think that they need to kind of reinvent the wheel and come up with something brand new. Otherwise, it's, it's not really theirs. But like a lot of the value in teaching people things is actually in ordering information. So you, you know, on the internet and YouTube, you can get pretty much any information that exists in the world for free. You just yep. got to like look really, really, really hard to, to find it. And a lot of products, a lot of good products out there, it's not so much that they're coming up with something new. It's just they're ordering that information in easy to follow sequential way and cutting out all the wasted time, you know, finding, finding the bullshit that, uh, I think that, that's that a big work. point cutting out a lot of the stuff, you know, I've gone through some high, high ticket courses and it's funny, like sometimes the more you pay and the higher end ones you get in, the less content they deliver because they know my time is really valuable and they're just going to give me, go do these six things, boom, 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 boom. And that's it. And it might be a 2000 hour course and I go implement it and I make an extra five, six figures, right? Like the whole theory of, I need to add 17 bonuses and add yeah. more and stuff, right? It's not a commodity. It's not a commodity. It is people are buying a result and the faster you can help them get to the result, the more they're going to like you. And I think a, another really important caveat here is that like, okay, I'm a total nerd. I grew up in Silicon Valley in the Bay Area through the dot-com boom. I've been building websites since the 90s. Like to say I love this stuff is an understatement. Most people love the thought of the result internet marketing will get them. So they're like, oh, I love money, so I should go teach people how to make money. And this game works. If you love – like if you cook vegan dog food for your pet every single night and you love vegan dog food, you could build a super successful platform email list. You could write books. You could create a membership program on vegan dog food. And that would work better for someone who actually likes it because your passion's going to show through because you're going to show up every day to make the content. Because guess what? You're making your dog vegan dog food every night anyways. You get to simply document what you're already doing, help others with that. Because like I said, we're in the, the world of like these crazy, interesting, deep, obscure niches like angel meditations. So I don't mind sharing it. No one can go recreate what we do. It's my wife's voice. Like, like the, no one can recreate us. And if they wanted to, there's room at the top, right? There's options for more. Like, it's just, it's so much more about finding what you love and what you're passionate about and sharing that with the world. Because I think magic a, happens. I think in that. practical terms as well. What I've always found is, you know, in any business, doesn't matter like how good you or bad or new or experienced you are, you go through ups and downs and, you know, the, you always have these like plateaus and, you know, sometimes something Google works against you or whatever and you, you encounter tough times. And uh, those are the times when you sort of, you know, everyone goes through it. You question what you're doing and, you know, should I really keep going with this? And I find that when you're in a space where you're you're passionate about, 
it's like quitting and and those times like never really become like never really even comes up but when you're in something you know just for the money or because you know you found some good keywords there or whatever the initial idea was but you don't really know the topic or you're not really so motivated about it much easier to kind of like consider you know jumping out or jumping ship pulling sort of doing something else at that at that at, the, at those difficult times so i think that's kind of certainly for me been really really helpful um 100 we thought about we thought about quitting our business amidst the path we got into this kind of mindset this mental rut of like we're not getting anything we've been putting in so much energy for three years like it's not paying out as we thought it would is this worth it and then we kind of got deep and it was like this isn't about us. Like we're sharing something that's helping like the the feedback we get from our customers like we're really helping people like change their lives for the better through our meditations like whatever. And and then we just kind of shifted and blazed forward and boy, had we quit and like shiny object syndrome is another thing. If you're just on it for the money, all of a sudden FBA sounds interesting and all of a sudden drop shipping sounds interesting and oh, they're making a lot of money with cryptocurrency trading. Oh yep. my gosh, I need to do that now. And it's like when you're doing something that's in your heart, in your soul, it's a part of who you are, it's in your DNA, you have to get it out to the world. That's when you know you're in the right spot. And that's when it's going to work long term. Sure. So I, well, one other question I want to pick up on is getting back to the, the YouTube stuff is I noticed on your channel, you sort of have this standard, I guess, thumbnail for the, like the first six months. And then like recently in the last month, you started changing things up. Is there, is that just because, or was there some kind of science behind that? I mean, have you looked into different thumbnails and, and stuff like this? So I think we can even give a little deeper than that, but, but that is a hundred percent kind of a, a great question. So I have made a change recently. I was keeping the same one mostly out of laziness, right? Like I got a couple of templates and I was just like, it's better than the weird screenshot that that YouTube chooses because it always chooses the one that you look like you're about to sneeze and eat a hot dog at the same time. And it's like, (laughs) oh my God, that's the worst picture ever. So it was laziness. I'm now realizing that the click-through rate from the search engine results page is a huge trigger for YouTube's algorithm, just as it is for Google's algorithm. And if you you could parallel Google and Facebook, I mean, excuse me, Google and YouTube so much because they really kind of run off the same engine. They're both owned by Alphabet, right? It's the same company. So they're, they're kind of accomplishing the same goal. YouTube has the added value of all the suggested videos. So if you can draw people's attention to your videos and get the click more often than the other videos around you, YouTube's going to grant you with more exposure. And YouTube's goal is to see users having long session durations, Right, like YouTube wants to see someone not just watch a video, but they want that person to binge watch videos for six hours. And if people can kind of enter my enter through my videos and enter my videos, and then if they go on to binge watch, whether it's my videos or anybody else's videos, I get rewarded because that user is going to either a rack up a lot of minutes for their red and pay off YouTube kind of publishers, or b they're going to click and generate a bunch of advertising revenue right so so helping facilitate people click on more videos is ultimately a goal and that's why i'm using more contrasting colors brighter colors really trying to to draw the eye away from other people's videos and from the search result page so basically what you're saying is that youtube 
will kind of like highly value people who watch lots of videos. I guess because they're watching lots of videos means they'll be exposed to lots of ads and you know more profit, yes. more profits for the business. Therefore, they're encouraging you to attract those visitors by rewarding you in their algorithm. Is that what you mean? Yes. They really like the publishers who create videos who get users to watch lots of videos. Yeah. Right. So if I mail my list, if I'm bringing audiences from Facebook, from other, from Quora, from other places, and I, I always go to Quora and answer at least one question about my video I just made with a link to my video. If I'm initiating a session for a viewer that turns out to be a long session, YouTube is absolutely going to love me as a publisher. Awesome. So I just wanted to pick up on something you said there about going to Quora. Once you publish a video, do you have like a set like list of things you do to kind of promote it? I mean, are you emailing all your videos out to everyone on your list or like w what do you go through to actually promote the, the video once you've once you published? Yeah, I, I try not to create patterns as in every single time I do this, 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 right? Because that kind of looks like you're outsourcing or automating. So mm -hmm. it's in flux. I do kind of almost always go publish it to Twitter. I would say one in four I put on Facebook and maybe one in four, one in six I email about. Sometimes if I'm making a series, I'll email each one in the series and then I won't email about a video for a while because I don't want to – I don't want to just kind of hit my list up too much. I, I want to value their time. I find there's like a, a balance point. If they want every video, they know where to find it type theory. Okay. I try to embed a video into my blog. I really – I've got a system now when a video would be something that would be good to go into written form. I use Trent.com. Are you familiar with Trent? I'm not, No. So it's, it's kind of like a transcription service, but it's a bot. It's 25 cents a minute. You get your first 30 minutes free, and they'll transcribe my videos, and it's got a really easy interface to go from the spoken word to a nice written document because the direct transcription, it's pretty rough to read, so you got to massage it into a blog post. So then I get it on my blog. I'll link so, to the video. Sorry, and Trent, Trent does all of that. Like You basically just input your video, and it outputs a blog post. It requires some human massaging. It outputs a, a solid transcription okay and then it has this graphic interface that allows you to edit in the kind of center window and it's got the video down in the bottom right so if, if it doesn't transcribe something really well you just click play and it'll play it so you can hear what you were talking about awesome i so guess it's, it probably just, learns as well so uh, it does some kind of algorithm that's pretty smart yeah yeah, and it, it, so I can go from kind of video to blog post in about 45 minutes to an hour with that system. And I've obviously – I've hired a writer to actually do that part for me who's better than I am. Mm -hmm. So it's that whole syndication, right? And then I, I do like to go to Quora. When I make a video that's a how-to style video, like how to advertise on Facebook or how to create a custom audience on Facebook, I go to Quora and look for somebody who's asking that exact question. And then I'm like, hey, this is kind of a long answer, but – I couldn't type it all up, so I made you a video. Go check it out here. And I include the link and embed the video on Quora. Awesome. Okay. Do you get any kind of visibility over the success of that, uh, particularly from Quora? So I'm seeing my Quora account. I'm getting a lot of followers. I'm getting a lot of interaction. I don't just do my videos on Quora. I've spent a few days, a couple hours here and there on a couple days to just go answer questions to kind of go be a part mm -hmm. of the Quora ecosystem beyond just 
spamming my videos. It's not spamming, but you, you get what I'm yeah. saying. Yeah. Beyond using it as only a push kind of a platform, like to go actually engage with people and build up some clout on there. But I actually can see it as a, as a referred video thing. Like I'm only after a few people, right? Like I'm not trying to get huge mass adoption. I feel if I get the right few people and I don't exactly know where they're at, I know they're on here, there, everywhere. So I'll just kind of keep getting my content out a little bit more and more and more. You'd probably be surprised at how loose I am with everything, with how good my numbers have been. Mm -hmm. And the one thing I'm not loose on is I'm going to create a great video that's going to be as absolutely helpful as it can be. I'm going to put out the best video on Facebook advertising that YouTube has ever seen. And somehow YouTube knows it and they pick up my videos. And I'm, man, I'm sitting in the top spot for like how to advertise on Facebook. I'm one of the top videos. Advertising on Facebook, I'm the number one video on YouTube. It's crazy. I'm on the first page for YouTube SEO with like Brian Dean and some of these other guys. It's like, whoa, that's crazy. I have this philosophy that there's a lot of room at the top. I think that most people in every niche, I don't care if you're doing the vegan dog food or health and fitness, you know how to lose weight niche. I think that there's this growth curve and adoption curve that content creators People get burnt out or they start working on their high ticket product and they stop publishing every day. And if you come in as that person who publishes every day and you do it for a year, you will literally just outwork everyone. Your videos will get really, really good. And eventually you're going to trigger the algorithm that YouTube's like, dude, this is the best person for losing weight out of anybody on YouTube. And you will gobble up all the traffic because your competitors are all focused on high ticket products or back end sales, or they're doing live events and they've, they've shifted from what got them there yeah. to other problems. Right. And you can come in and fill that void and that vacuum because everybody wants what's new. I think this is a, a real sort of like classic uh, entrepreneur's trap almost. It's not even just uh, in, in sort of content marketing, but just in general, you know, it's all very fine and well, you know, pushing the content out at, at the start or, you know, building your business could be even like an old school kind of business. You're, you build it up. But at some point you get to the point where you don't physically have enough hours in the day to, you know, manage the growth and, you know, produce more content and stuff. So you have to start kind of bringing in more people or kind of outsourcing things here and there or changing things, building processes. And at that point, it's very easy to kind of lose track of what initially kind of got you there and your your core audience and especially in i guess place like youtube especially where people are kind of attention spans are very short if you drop the ball it can be quite you know i guess easy for subscribers to sort of look elsewhere but you know that's great because it creates so many opportunities and just goes to show that you know even with with sort of like established players you know there's there's always room to to kind of one-up them in terms of in terms of quality Yep. And with that said, you kind of generally have to find a way to zig when everybody's zagging. Yep. But I've got a good friend. He's going into the yoga space. And I've talked to people before who love yoga. Oh, well, that's already been done. You know, you just hear that. It's such a block for people. Oh, well, that's already been done. Yeah, well, so had what my wife and I are doing. There's a woman who she's published 65 books in our niche. She published her first book when my wife was two. Like she's absolutely the biggest angel lady in the world. And mm -hmm. like there's others too, but we just stepped in and we've outworked her because she's doing other things, right? And now if you search on every, every platform, we pretty much outrank her everywhere. And she's backed by a $100 million a year publishing company. And here we are just like a couple of scrappy, excited kids wanting to share a message with the world. And we outrank her on Google and Facebook, like everywhere. Like we show up more than she does. It's because we've focused on different things. 
Yeah, I think when you have that passion and that sort of uh, drive to, to do things and you're sort of staying on top of the, the, the curve in terms of like new new media, YouTube or, you know, Instagram, Snapchat, these kind of things probably where I'd focus on these days if, uh, if I was starting from scratch. But it really just, you know, can pay dividends if you're, if you're sort of staying ahead. It's very difficult when you, you know, if you already have, she probably has a book schedule, you know, she has to publish a new one every 18 months or something like that. And, you know, it's, yep. it's a probably like a firmly entrenched system where she's working in. So for her to, you know, learn YouTube, for example, it's probably like quite a difficult step to, to kind of get in there. Totally. And her thought process is, I don't have time for that. She's making two, three million a year off of publishing deals. All she needs to do is keep writing books. Publishing company tries to handle the the marketing, but like users can feel it in this day and age yeah. that it's outsourced. They can tell it's not from her. It's not from the heart. It's just kind of generic Canva-based stuff. And that's okay. It works for her because she's got that credibility, but we're able to come in with that next level of kind of awesome. And I think you touched on one thing that's so powerful is it's the ability to delay gratification. My wife and I committed in both times on my 90-day, 120-day challenge. I had no views, man. Like I had 30 views a day at the end of 90 days, right? Like most people would look at that and say, quote, unquote, this stuff doesn't work. But I knew if I would stick with it for a year, two years, five years, this is going to be astounding. And that ability to delay gratification is so required for an entrepreneur. And like in in this credit card, give it to me now, Amazon Prime, I want it here yesterday kind of world, it's a very difficult skill for us to cultivate. But it's something that's required to cultivate for anyone, especially if you're going into content marketing. But really, even if you go into paid marketing. I think it's especially true with so many marketers kind of touting the, you know, the pictures of the Ferraris and the, their income reports if you want to call them that, where, you know, they, they, these numbers are what attracts people into yeah. the space in the, in the first place. So I think that's a, it's a really good point. One other question I just had for you about sure. the video promotion. So you said you do Facebook yep. as well. Are you posting the, the, the videos to Facebook or the YouTube links on your Facebook page? Dude, great question. And so being a Facebook advertiser, I hate Facebook. Like I really don't like Facebook and I don't want to contribute much to that platform. So I'm not uploading my videos there. If I wanted to try to build a brand, if I wanted to build a fan page organically and get more growth on Facebook, I would probably upload my videos there also natively, but I'm putting links that go back to YouTube because I'm more interested in going all in on YouTube's platform and YouTube's algorithm, which means I want to drive traffic to YouTube versus letting people sit on Facebook in that ecosystem. And my reasoning is because the shelf life of content on YouTube is thousands X of what it is on Facebook. Your video might go viral-ish. I've never seen a video go viral. And my wife and I have put up a ton of videos in a very viral space. Like, if, even if it does, it might last a few days, a month, but we've got videos my wife and I made. we got blog posts my wife and I made seven and eight years ago that still drive thousands of visits to our sites and to our channel per month. Like The value of that is astounding because the results compound over time. So since Facebook doesn't have that benefit of compounding my traffic with the content, I really don't care, and I'm all about trying to leech people off Facebook. With that said, Facebook's crushing the reach of any YouTube links because Facebook hates YouTube because Facebook thinks it's going to mm-hmm. become a video player. So I'm I'm not working within the Facebook's algorithm as effectively as I could, but that's just kind of a personal thing. Yeah, <laughs> I think I, 
think they're they're just two fundamentally different approaches to uh, for consumers in terms of consuming video. Like one, and I, I remember this like six years ago or something. I found out that YouTube was the second biggest search engine in the world after Google, of course in English speaking markets, at least like six years ago, that blew my mind. I'm sure it's like, you know, you know, getting even closer to, to Google. Now I know when I'm looking for something on uh, how to solve a problem more often than not, I'll go to YouTube and look for the video solution. I, I don't have time to read through, you know, tens of blog posts or thousands of words to figure out the solution. I, I want, I want the quick, right. quick answer, but you're absolutely not doing that on, on Facebook. It's more a case of if something kind of catches your attention while it's buzzing through your newsfeed, then maybe you'll give it a, a minute or two to to discover so i guess that's the uh it's interruption on facebook yep. right like it's problem solution on youtube and it's interruption on facebook if i had more energy or maybe even a, a part-time video person i would probably create like a minute video clip or a 30 second video clip that has bits and pieces and it pops up text and it turns into almost a commercial for my video on YouTube. And that would go on Instagram and Facebook natively. And I would upload it to get to trigger those algorithms to display my videos because they do want to display videos. And then I would have in the text, a really simple link to get to my at least my video homepage, link in bio, obviously type thing on Instagram. But I wouldn't actually put the link in Facebook because that would give me that that kind of sweet spot of triggering the YouTube algorithm to get kind of visitors over to my YouTube video. So YouTube's really monitoring what happens in a video in the first 48 hours. If you can send a flood of visitors to your video in the first 48 hours who watch good percentages of your video and engage, YouTube is going to display your video to more viewers who have a high likelihood of also engaging. So if you can trigger the YouTube algorithm in the first 48 hours, it can potentially get YouTube working with you as a partner to distribute that video further. So doing what uh, we can really to, and if you look, so if you go inside of your YouTube analytics, there's a real-time link underneath the analytics. And in there, they show you what your 60-minute number is and what your rolling 48-hour number is hmm. right there up top. So YouTube's showing us, like, we care what happens in 48 hours. That's really interesting, actually. It's, I guess it's a very similar approach to, you know, the way of a Facebook post kind of takes off if you get that initial yep. kind of uh, few likes and or, clicks and whatnot. Or uh, it flops if you don't. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. It's that exact same thing. Awesome. So if you had to start again, let's say we're winding back the clock to day one of the 90-day challenge, what would you do differently in terms of uh, your YouTube channel? I would have started building a list straight away from day one. Like my wife said, she had it right all along. I would have been a little bit more formulaic in like, you know, so I didn't see the Facebook ad side of my videos as being so powerful. Those are by far my most popular videos. Three videos account for like 70% of my views, which is crazy. And they're all Facebook videos. It took me two months to find that, but I would have literally started having some list building component showing up kind of day one. But Man, I just I, I would just do it all again. Like I I was bad at it, and that was okay. I looked awkward, that was okay. I my microphone, I didn't have a mic. Like that was okay. It was so much about the exercise of doing it every day for ninety days that was the, like that's the success. It's not here's how much I made. Here's my income report from that. Here's my traffic report from that. No, no, no. It's the fact that I went and did something new and I challenged myself and I pushed myself for 90 days. Like that's invaluable. And like, that's the only thing that I would 100% have to go do again. And how that played out is all kind of like the bits and pieces are just, it just doesn't matter as long as we flex that muscle 
Yeah, I'm I'm very sort of big normally on sort of data and like making decisions based on numbers and, and, and whatnot. But I mean, what you said there, I think is really, really worth sort of hammering home because it's like, especially something in like YouTube where you, you know, you're really sort of putting yourself out there. And that's kind of a skill which a lot of people, especially online marketers who tend, I guess, tend to be more introverted, um, find quite uncomfortable naturally. So I think just just doing it and like flexing that muscle and like getting comfortable, just waking up and making another video like yeah. it's nothing is such a such a critical thing. If you're able to d- develop that, it, it almost doesn't matter what your 90 day results are because I mean this right. is like a you know this is not a 90 day game. I mean you you're gonna be doing this for years, I guess. For life. Yep, uh, absolutely. And and one other thing, I think like I guess I would have done this years ago is really the big thing is I, I should have done this two years ago, three years ago and been documenting my process since because I'd have hundreds of thousands of subscribers at this point and not just 20,000 because like it, it's just easy once you get in the flow. And I was so scared to be vulnerable. You really nailed it. Like it was that it was fear of putting myself out there, that vulnerability. There's a great book. If anyone's like wants to do it, but they're feeling nervous, it's called the war of art by Stephen Pressfield. And it talks about the resistance and we've talked about how this displays in several ways on this podcast. Go read that book. Go listen to the book on audio. It really was one that got me over the hump to like, well, you know what? I'm going to do this. And uh, it's just to shift from consumer to producer, from consumer to creator. That's the game. And if I had done that in 2015 instead of 2017, uh, oh, lordy, <laughs> it, it would be a whole different game at this point. Yeah. Um, do, do you find the growth has been, you know, some, I know it's quite early still, but somewhat exponential? Like the, the more you go, the faster your rate, to, rate of growth on YouTube? Yeah. YouTube wants content. The more you can publish on content on YouTube, the better. And my blog's doing the same thing. The more videos I turn into great blog posts, my, my blog, I was getting 60 visits a month to my blog. I was trying to force myself to write for five years, and I'm not a writer. It wasn't until I honored my DNA of, I'm a talker, I'm, I'm good at video, like just do that. Then things started to work. So if you're listening to this and you're like, there's no way I'll do a video every day, great. Just write a blog post or if you're a talker, do a, do a podcast, right? Like do what's in your DNA, but it it's exponential is the right word. I mean, it's hockey sticked. I leveled out a little bit, but man, if I publish every day right now and I finished out the next two, three months for that, I, oh, the result will be astounding. And I'm making sure my pace is setting me up to be successful for the five-year game, not the next two months. Right. What do you really see in the future for this? I mean, do you see this potentially becoming like your, your sole focus or are you still kind of like spending the majority of your time on the, the, the other authority side? You know, we've got a good balance. I went and reread the four hour work week to remind myself that I don't need to be doing work for work's sake. So we're experimenting on how little can we actually work in our business and still continue the growth curve on both platforms that we're on. So it's kind of a fun experiment. Man, content is the future, right? Like there's so many people selling all these like tricks and ninja tactics and this funnel, that funnel, you need our system, you need that system. We need to go be helpful to people. We need to build audiences and be of value to the audiences. And that's that's where I see the game going. And it's the same game that we've really been playing for a long time. And everybody who tried to trick the system and game the system through links or link wheels or all this old school stuff – they all got slapped. The people who just put out great content for the sake of putting out great content because they love what they're talking about, they're still successful. 
Yeah, and I, I don't think there's ever really going to be a point in the future. It's hard to see a point in the future when you know you're ever going to be punished for trying to put out amazing content. It's all the the tricks and tactics and the things around it that uh, that, that cause that. Uh, right. So yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Is there anything else you want to want to say or want to talk about before we wrap this up? Yeah, real quick, just since we've been so on the YouTube to really kind of like follow through on the value. We talked about keyword research. It's so powerful. It's a keyword-driven ecosystem. But then your title and the first two lines of your description are like the most important part. You need to make sure your keyword is towards the front of your title and get the keyword in on the first two lines of that description and use those as a headline. Clickbait is a terrible word, so don't make them actual clickbait, but use principles from clickbait. Make sure your title and the first two lines of your description are compelling, that's a way better word, Mm -hmm. to get users to click. So that image and those three lines of text are like 80% of what matters because that's what displays in the search engine results. And that's what the user sees when they're debating, do I click on video one, two, three, four, five? They see your image and they see your title and they see the two first lines of your description. So really go all in on that. Take time to write compelling titles that, that solve problems and that pique people's interest and you'll see your click-through rates go up and, and then you're just showing YouTube that you're worthy of more clicks. Uh, and they'll give you more clicks if you prove that you're worthy. Have you found that there was a certain point where the sort of suggested videos thing started clicking in or, or, or was that there from, the, from relatively early on? from relatively early on. It's the browse feature that's the one that can send people to the moon. So the browse feature is, is and this is mobile, there's like a million videos watched a day on mobile on YouTube now. When you open their mobile app, it just shows you a feed, like Facebook does, like Pinterest does. That feed is the browse feature. So people will just be sitting on a train, they'll open up their YouTube, oh, what's going on on YouTube? And when YouTube starts displaying you there in the browse feature and you get clicks and that's where you can kind of initiate a user session that becomes a long user session. That's how people really seem to explode. I haven't been able to get that number up higher than my suggested videos number or my search number. And that's a part of why I'm trying these new, more colorful, brighter images cover images is to try to draw the eye more because my old ones like you said those blue templates i was using are they're pretty flat they're kind of but it got me to here was there a particular sort of school of thought or you know training course or was there someone who you're following where you kind of learned all these these tips and tricks and the the seo side of youtube or did you just figure it out man just figured it out I learned keyword research and I did client work for a while before our website was paying me full time. I was doing marketing services and WordPress services for people. Mm-hmm. And every time I'd go do keyword research, I'd find the keywords that worked. I go re- wrote a bunch of content or paid somebody to write a bunch of content for it, published it. And surprise, surprise, they ranked well. And it was just just seeing that it worked. It's so simple. We, we over-complexificate for me <laughs> to use it over a complex word, right? Like, <laughs> like we, we totally make things more difficult than they actually are. It's like, go to keyword research. People are trying to figure out how to make vegan dog food. Okay, let me go make the biggest, best post on vegan dog food ever, right? Like some people say my style is a lot like Brian Dean's. I've looked at your SEO content and I really like how you guys have some stuff on how to use SEMrush to kind of reverse engineer what's working for other people. That's so advanced. Like, 
Content marketing and SEO are the same thing. You have groups of people who are looking for solutions to their problems. You can go see the number of people. And on Keyword Finder, you can actually see how difficult the, the score is to rank for that. And then you just go be of service to the audience. Like, that's it. Like, go write a real, don't try to spam it. No spun this. No, how can I copy somebody else's article? No, literally. If you have to go to the library and grab five books and write the best article that's ever been written on something and it takes you all day, guess what? That day could result in traffic for 10, 20 years for the rest of your life. You could sit on the number one spot of Google for years when you stick that spot. Yeah, you you got to be comfortable with this sort of delayed gratification there, though, I guess, because uh, you, you know, do. It, it does, that's that's not an instant thing. But uh, because you're, if you're, you're going to the right. library, if you're going to the library every single day and you're spending hours and hours and you do it for a year and you're just now getting a thousand visits a month, you're like, man, was that really worth it? But you stick with it for three years, you could. I mean, we get on our angel site seven hundred fifty thousand visits a month. We get tens of thousands of leads every month. We took a cruise, the Nomad cruise, from South America to Europe. We had no internet for 14 days. We come back online, traffic's up, leads are up, sales are up. We made more money the month, those two weeks than we did the two weeks before when we were working on it. Like, yeah, I, I bet you're not even like worried about when the next Google algorithm's coming out, or you know, that's just never going to negatively affect you. You know, yeah. I look forward to it because it knocks the people trying to game the system out of our way, so we can take over the first page even more. Awesome. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much exactly the the same position we had. It was I don't know, maybe six years ago now or something. We used to do sort of client work, and you know we had a bit of an agency and stuff. And we had something like 80 sites hit by a penalty at once. This was back in the the, oh. the black hat days or the gray hat days. And, uh, Link wheels. Oh, man, it was horrible. Since then, it's just been like, uh, you know, let's do things legit. I never want to experience that again. So... Yeah, yeah, and yeah. you know, so through some of our toughest times and biggest challenges come our biggest aha moments. I went all in thinking we had our business figured out, moved to Australia to do the digital nomad thing. Pretty much business didn't work. I ran out of money, had to move back into my parents' house at 30 with my tail between my legs. Like our path to this point has been chock full of challenges. And it's our willingness to kind of be like, okay, why did that happen? Observe and keep going. And that's why it has to be something you love because you'll ne- you won't keep going if it's not a part of you. I still meditate every day. That's why we can write about meditations every day and we could talk about it, we could put social media updates about it because I meditate every day. So does my wife. We wake up and the first thing we do is we go meditate and it's exciting to us. So like when it's integrated to your life, it can be a lifestyle business. And I'm building this for my 80-year-old self, my 90-year-old self, right? Like I'm I'm thinking long term because Going and getting a job, that's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree with you. So I just have one final question, uh, not related sure. to YouTube before we, uh, before we wrap up here. It sounds like you have like, quite the interesting life, you know, living all, all over the world and working on cool projects. Like, what does your typical day look like? I mean, are you, are you getting up at 5 a.m. in the morning or are you a, a late riser? How does it work? Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty early. So we have built a Jeep. Jeep Wrangler with this camper top. I've put, I've sunk a ton of money into this thing. So it's, it's essentially like a really, really small recreational vehicle. It's got a kitchen. It's got a fridge out the back. So I usually go to bed with the sun when the sun goes down here in North America or in the Northern Hemisphere. The sun's setting somewhere around nine, ten o'clock, and then I rise with the sun, which is about six. I'm all, I'm really into kind of the natural cycles of thing. One or two cups of coffee in the morning. I look at my Facebook ads once a day in the morning to make sure my numbers to see if things are in KPI or out of KPI. 
And then I don't look at Facebook ads again for the rest of the day, sometimes two, three days at a time. I read a lot. I create one video every three days. And that, and then I, I try to get something up on my blog once a week. Twice a week would be better if I, if I had more motivation on that. But like, I'm not really pushing right now. I'm in like maintenance mode, like keep mm-hmm. things going. And like our income continues to increase. Everything's increasing with less effort from us. So I'm learning. I'm doing more meditation. I hike one or two hours a day every day. I meditate for one or two hours a day every day. Really kind of in this enjoy life phase. But then I'll be flying to Asia here in October and life's going to be totally different. So it keeps me on my toes. It's always changing. And a few things are very constant. Check my Facebook ads, enjoy coffee, um, (laughs) and and give a value to my audience. Oh, and email. I try to email at least three, four times a week, just giving value. Like I'm all about giving value. And like I'm grateful that my wife and I have built a successful business so I don't have to try to sell people things with every email, right? I can just give, give, give. At some point I might create something, but I I just don't have time or energy to try to sell something. So I'll just keep giving it away and recommending your product and a couple, two other things that I actually can recommend because there's so much rubbish out there for people. But that's it, man. Just really simple and fun and really enjoying time in nature is kind of my big thing. That's really good to hear that you're uh, you're able to take some time and to enjoy your life as such. I think you're you're probably a, a really good case study for you know the lesson. The hard work pays off. So, congratulations. Yeah, and it wasn't always that. this way. To get to this point, we did a lot of 15, 18 hour days, a lot of nights up till two in the morning trying to figure out why my WordPress site isn't working, and it was some stupid plugin conflict with a, a caching plugin. Been and it there. took me nine hours to figure out when <laughs> I could have paid somebody and they would have figured it out in twenty minutes. But like, so. It just like everything has seasons, right? Like, yeah. it, you know, I'm, I'm maybe in a harvest season and, and sometimes we're in a plow and plant season and that plow and plant season is is uh, a little, or I'm in the fruiting season. I don't know. I don't have a great analogy for it, but um, an insane amount of work to get to this point, but 100% worth all of the energy and I've grown as a person. And if the whole world collapses, I can bring so much value to any business in the world that, you know, I've skilled up. And that's, that's the byproduct of all of this that all of your listeners can get. That's so, so, so powerful is like skill up. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of had a similar realization. I think it was like a year or so ago. Like, you know, if this whole thing fell apart, like the internet was deleted tomorrow or something like the, not even just the internet skills, but like the general business skills that I've acquired yep. over this journey is like, it's really powerful. And it's like, like, it gives you a lot of, I guess, self-confidence and like making decisions and stuff as well. So yeah. Direct response marketing skills will work with pen and paper as well yeah. as it does with digital bits and bytes. <laughs> Brilliant. So listen, uh, I really appreciate your time today, Miles. Thanks, yeah, thanks so much pleasure. for coming on. I, I love chatting about these things. I feel like we could probably go on for another few hours, but uh, <laughs> we, we probably should should cut it off there. So thanks again for coming on. To everyone who's listening, if you want to catch Miles, you can head over to, is it milesbeckler.com, your website? Yep. And yep, uh, it is. Is, is there a YouTube link uh, on there or do they go to YouTube and just search for you? What's the best yeah, way to I'm find the- you? I'm the only Miles Beckler in the world. So if you go to Instagram or wherever and search Miles Beckler, I show up. It's youtube.com forward slash Miles B. But again, yeah, search Miles Beckler or on the top of my website, it says video trainings and that'll take you to the YouTube channel. Brilliant. And we'll put links to your social media pages plus the, the book you recommended. I actually want to check that one out myself, The War on Art. We'll put all the links in the, the show notes for this podcast episode. Uh, if you guys want to leave a comment and ask Miles any questions, then uh, feel free to do so. 
as well. I'm sure he'd love to hear from you. Go check out his YouTube videos, though. They're, they're really awesome. If you like Authority Hacker, you will, you will like his videos for sure. We will be back next Monday with uh, another episode as usual. So uh, thanks again, guys, and uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.